Hi, everybody. This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless Mr. Scott did not, in fact, make your dreams come true, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Vane. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Sideshow Bob's Burgers, which is just like it sounds. This is Hi, Everybody. A, uh, I had nothing this week. I apologize. <laughs> this is Hi, Everybody, a bad medicine podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. You can find this podcast online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hi, Everybody, MD or at www.hieverybodymd.com. You can also contact us, call us, give us all the advice you want, or give us advice on future episodes uh, by calling us at 530-DOCTORB. That's 530-D-O-C-T-O-R-B. The beast this week stands for BLS, because I think that is an important thing that we actually learned in this episode that we're covering today. Yeah, uh, we are uh, discussing Season 5, Episode 14, of The Office, which is available on the Peacock streaming service. I hate it so much. It should be on Netflix still, really. I mean, I don't want to rant on Peacock, but there's too many streaming services, and this is driving me nuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got, I have that I'm actively subscribed to and watching things on Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, CBS All Access, and now Peacock. CBS Some Access. Yeah, CBS Some Access, which is going to become Paramount Plus in a couple months. If we learned anything from last week's episode, it's Some Access. It didn't it's have some evil. Access. I mean, come on. That was terrible. Before we get started on the episode, I want to say thank you to everyone who has reached out to us recently with Seriously. suggestions or feedback. Uh, we've got a lot of new listeners who've been coming in over the past few weeks. And so if you're enjoying the show, let us know. Uh, and please just tell one person about it. That's the word of mouth is the best thing that yeah. can happen to um grow this podcast yeah. rate and review us too that gives us a little bit more visibility as well but mm-hmm. just telling other people to listen as you guys have done so far has been super super helpful so i appreciate a lot and that's actually how we ended up with this episode this week was it was actually a suggestion by someone who listened to the podcast too yeah so so super excited and why was it. this the uh, suggested episode jackson um because they really liked the first office episode so <laughs> why not do the second op- the second medical like episode of the office um plus this one i think is far funnier than getting your foot uh george farman grilled for sure yeah. uh this is the episode where stanley has a heart attack after dwight fakes a fire emergency by setting a real fire and to be f- this is like a nightmare scenario of a fire drill more than anything um as a guy who sits through fire alarms almost on a weekly basis this is everything that could go wrong in a fire drill Mm-hmm. So th- things that go wrong include that the doors are all blocked, that no one knows where they're going, that everyone is panicking and no one has a plan. You cannot escape through a false ceiling like that. There's <laughs> no way. That thing cannot, that could barely support the weight of the the and scaffolding. The and the cat, too. But did Oscar fall through? Or was it just Oscar fell through, yeah. I feel like if Oscar fell through, he should be a lot more hurt. I'm okay. just saying. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good fall. What, mm-hmm. like 10 feet? That that hurts. Eight feet. Eight feet. If it's a standard drop ceiling. I mean, you're not going to feel really good about that. Um, I, I think Dwight did all this because he said PowerPoint is boring, which I agree with him. Um, but he also advised using a wet rag for smoke. And mm-hmm. uh, that's like a weird recommendation, kind of. 
Um, especially... I, re- I remember that sort of recommendation from, you know, grade school fire safety classes and things like that. You know, you, you, you crawl, stay low on the ground and cover your mouth with a wet rag. I mean, this isn't a fire safety podcast, obviously. Right. But I feel like just a simple face covering should suffice to help you mm-hmm. get through kind of like what we're all doing or supposed to be doing right now. And if you've had a very sweaty face mask on your face, you don't move and breathe very well. Mm-hmm. I think that is a very relevant thing to today's day and age, I guess, is if you have a wet mask on your face, you're not going to breathe well. You're not going to function as well. And you're more likely to pull that mask down, mm. right? And then thus breathing in all that all that smoke. That's, all that particulates. and Yeah. The, I, I think the theory is that the wet rag would trap more of the particulate so you don't breathe it in as well. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you're not going to be breathing that well, period. Okay. So I think any kind of face covering to use to get out of the place quickly is probably the most important thing. But I think the more important thing is just get out mm-hmm. safe and fast. Uh, let's talk about Stanley's heart attack. Yeah. And if I if from what I saw and the way the office works, you know, it's a it's, it's a one camera show. So it's not like we could see from multiple perspectives, but he was just up and then he was down. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't, we, we didn't see, you know, a, a lead up of heavy breathing or, or sweating or anything like well, that. Well, he kind of did. He was like panicking and moving pretty slowly too. Okay. And Okay. Ha- I didn't notice the moving slowly. But heart attacks are really pretty varied in presentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had patients where their only complaint was shoulder pain and they mm-hmm. were actively having a heart attack at that time. Other people drop. And then they mm-hmm. end up in the hospital getting CPR and all of that stuff, too. So it really varies. So okay, the whole basic thing about a heart attack is the reason why you have it is that your coronary artery is clogged off. Mm-hmm. And that's what causes your heart attack. So this is going to sound really dumb, but if you think of it as a stroke of the heart, mm-hmm. that that's essentially what it is. Just like how people say a stroke of the brain is like a, a brain attack. Yeah. Vice versa. Same thing. I like to think of it as a partial eclipse of the heart. <laughs> oh, God, no. How dare you? How <laughs> how dare you sully that song with that terrible joke? But also, <laughs> I agree with you. It is a Here's the thing. It could be a total eclipse of the heart if it blocks the um, I believe it's the LAD, the the ascent. The LAD is like the main artery that supplies everything. So if you cut that off and you get a total eclipse of the heart, you are screwed. Okay. Yes, but a, a partial eclipse of the heart would be one of the smaller vessels that supply it, or it's just a partial occlusion. So you're not getting um, blood supply to the muscle of the heart. So people mm-hmm. don't realize that the heart is a muscle that needs a different supply of oxygen, of blood to supply. So not just the blood that goes through the chambers, but actually the blood in the chambers gets pumped out into smaller passageways to supply oxygen to those muscles of the heart. And that's how it works. So if you cut off that blood supply, you're basically cutting off its oxygen, which causes it to stop. Okay. So the, pl- uh, the plumbing's bad. Right. Yeah. Is is that as common as the other other types where it's actually stopping the blood flow throughout the body? What do you mean? Like, so so my understanding from what you just said is that mm-hmm. either can a heart attack can be you're stopping the blood from flowing properly into and out of the heart to the rest of you. Or it can be just stopping the, it's, it's the just, blood that powers the heart. It's really just stopping the blood that powers the heart. Okay. Okay. So, so the heart, for as strong as it is and how hard it works, can easily be thwarted by just a simple blockage of some sort. So like an okay. air embolism can cause it. Um, 
all the hamburgers that you've eaten, um, the filet of fishes that you've had, no matter how much Diet Coke you drink, it will still not help. And the symptoms are really vague. Like, like I kind of mentioned with you, you can either have this, the Stanley drop basically mm-hmm. and pass out, or you can have just chest pain, which is the most common thing, shortness of breath, which means your blood's not, your heart's not pumping blood enough to your heart and oxygenating the rest of your body. So you get really winded. You can have shoulder pain. You can even have jaw pain. Mm-hmm. And that could be a presentation as well. So if I learned anything in fellowship, working with adult patients is that if it's an older person coming in with anything vaguely on the left side of the body that doesn't make sense, it's an EKG until proven otherwise. So you always have to get an EKG on somebody. If you're listening to this right now and you're over 50, you may be having a heart attack. I mean, if your jaw hurts and you're like, man, walking up those stairs really made me tired. You might have maybe angina or when I was in medical school, I read as angina and I couldn't stop. (laughs) I am a mature person. (laughs) <laughs> I, I've heard, and this might just be something that I've I've heard that's totally inaccurate, that a sense of impending doom can be a symptom of a heart attack. It could be, but also that's also anxiety. Right. So anxiety also comes with a, a sense of impending doom as well, which both can be confusing because both involve tachycardia. So your heart's mm-hmm. just beating fast. You're like, something's wrong. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. Same kind of situation. By anxiety, you mean like an actual panic attack level? Like a real anxiety attack. Yeah, not just like, oh, man, I got a test. Not just doom scrolling. Yeah, or I have a test that I didn't study for. Mm -hmm. That kind of situation. But going to Stanley, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, he he keels over after kind of clutching his chest, which is like the standard television trope, right? Like Mm -hmm. everyone holds their chest and falls over. And then he passes out. And then Michael, or sorry, Michael wants to give him mouth to mouth right away. And Jim Mm -hmm. says it's not a good idea. And in general, that is not the first thing you should be doing. Because the first thing you should be doing is seeing if they're breathing. Correct. I mean, you took, you had to take BLS, right? It's it's been a while. It's it's been since I was doing like after school camps and things like that. Uh, I haven't been CPR certified in a long time. And that's something that I should do. Yeah. And BLS is the First thing you should always do is check if they're okay. So it's like mm-hmm. we always joke in class. It's like slapping them, yelling at them very loudly. And then if they don't respond and you don't hear breathing, you're supposed to call for help before anything. Mm-hmm. So you call for help, tell someone to grab an AED and just call 911. So that's like mm-hmm. number one, not mouth to mouth. But right. also Michael putting his wallet in his mouth was also a horrible, horrible thing to do. Yeah, that's that was a... Because he didn't want him to swallow his tongue yeah. situation. And that's such a weird trope in general. Because uh-huh. um, that's also... Because first the, that doesn't happen, right? It's really hard for it to happen. And I think the bigger thing that people misconstrue is it's not so much swallowing your throat, but it's your throat getting stuck or mm-hmm. occluding your airway because it's floppy at that point, right? Like if you mm-hmm. lost all of your tone and you passed out, you go really limp. And since your tongue is a gigantic muscle, that can go limp too. So if it goes limp and you're lying on your back, there's a potential that it blocks your airway and you can't breathe super well. But you still have your nose that can still move air. Is that one of the reasons that you put people in the recovery position? You mean on their side? Yeah. Yes. One of the one of the many reasons. That, vomiting, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want them gurgling on their own secretions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, excessive drooling, that, that too. But really it's a place of safety. It's just putting them on their side because they're l- less likely to get hurt on their side than on their back. So that's why. But 
that's the other thing too is like when patients have seizures that's what everyone goes is like i put my fingers down their mouth to keep their tongue from getting swallowed that's and a good way to lose a couple fingers i was gonna tell you the same thing that is the best way to lose fingers because they're gonna get chomped on really really hard yeah and those fingers are gonna go bye-bye yeah you've, you've said that a few times that one of the things that's happening when you're having a seizure is that whatever muscles are firing are probably going at full power. Yeah, because you're not controlling it. It's a horrible, it is considered, if you want to consider it this way, it's a bad workout, right? Mm -hmm. You are firing all your muscles at once, but it's very not coordinated. So you're going to you're gonna get hurt. And that's the other mm -hmm. thing too. Some people worry that they're going to bite their tongues, mm -hmm. put them on their side, they'll be okay. Tongues, as long as you don't bite all the way through, you're going to be fine. But also if you did bite your tongue, if you're on your side, you won't swallow all that blood. Right. Right. I don't sew. The only time I think we've ever had to sew a tongue is if it's dangling. Ah. Yeah. The, my worst outcome of a laceration in my medical career has been from tongue lacerations that required a suture. I, I can't imagine that being good for anyone involved. It's bloody. It's yeah. bloody. And you're just sitting there having someone just holding a suction catheter, just holding it there while I'm trying to throw in stitches as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. The suction catheter is there to, to to remove the blood or to keep the tongue from moving? Blood and spit. And then okay. the, the, the way we keep the tongue from moving, and this is going to sound gross, we throw in two anchoring stitches and pull the tongue out, ah! and then we sew up the, the thing. The tongue heals <laughs> very, very well. Mm -hmm. like, but if it's dangling, if it's not approximated, it's not going to heal as well. Does it heal well because it's a muscle, and so muscles are kind of it's it's designed what? to get to 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 it's get injured and and reheal? Like that's how we it's how we get swole. It's <laughs> and, uh, from what I've heard, it's part of it, but the other part is because it's so well vascularized. So okay, you know your your blood carries things to help you heal, right? So mm -hmm. if it's a place that gets a lot of blood, it's going to heal very well. So your mouth in general has a lot of blood going through it. So if you have any cuts or anything like that in your mouth, what, in two or three days, it's gone? Mm -hmm. the, the thing that really inhibits the healing is you jabbing your tongue through it? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we don't do stitches inside the mouth, except for the tongue if it's dangling. Except for the tongue if it's dangling. Yeah. Um, it, But that's like the big thing with the tongue and the wallet in the mouth and giving something to bite. That doesn't block anything. If anything, you're shoving it deeper. Okay. Yeah. Oh, can I mention one thing? Michael says my favorite line in this whole episode. Um, no one should go to work thinking they are going to die today. That is what a hospital is for. The office is not for dying. And I, I started, I had to pause it and giggle a little bit because of that just one line. The hospital is not for dying. <laughs> Sometimes it's for dying, but most of the time it's to get better. Mm -hmm. Greg might argue differently. He's not here right now. <laughs> but it's true. But technically, the hospital is my office. I don't go there to die. I'm just saying. That, yeah. that, that's the one thing I'm going to toss out about that part. <laughs> so Michael Scott's statement was not medically accurate. I'm going to I'm gonna go out and be bold and say no. No, All it's right. not. It's as accurate as Michael Scott giving Stanley a wheelchair to sit in so he doesn't get excited easily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, Stanley returns to the office and they treat him like a rescue puppy of no one make any noises. No one startle him. Let's all talk in these calming voices. And then they get him a wheelchair and say, you're stuck with this. I remember when my grandpa had a, a heart attack. We did not baby him that hard. We're like, <laughs> go go do all that stuff you normally did and see how you do. Um, 
you don't need to coddle someone that bad. They mm-hmm. will they will self-limit themselves, mm-hmm. especially if someone had a severe heart attack enough to send them to the hospital and need a couple of days of, of rest and potentially like embolization, not embolization, like basically uh, drainoing all the occluded pipes. Uh-huh. You're, you're In the terms of Dr. Hibbert, Hibbert, they'd be as weak as a newborn kitten. Yes. Stop. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Just like Homer's triple bypass where he got the cabbage. It's exactly like that for sure. Um, but yeah, Stanley seemed pretty good. He was, he was self-limiting himself. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean he did what he does on a daily basis. Which is nothing. I mean crossword puzzles, waiting yeah. in line for pretzels. Those are the big ones. Oh, cheating on his wife. That was the third thing. <laughs> if you think something was would have been his downfall, I wouldn't have thought Michael Scott. But the the balancing two women part that should have been his downfall. But you learned that in like season five, I, I believe. This was season five. Later in the season, I think. Ah, yeah, I'm, I've and I think we talked about this last time we covered the Office. I haven't done a full Office watch through. Mm-hmm. Like I I enjoy the show, but it's. <laughs> When it gets really cringy, it's exhausting to yes. me. Yes. This one, not too much. This one was just hilarity to me, mm-hmm. anyways. Especially the CPR training stuff. That right. that got me good. Yeah. The, the, the follow-up is that the entire team needs to go through CPR training because they handled everything so dang poorly. Correct. And so they, they bring in um, a, a Red Cross... A trainer and a life-saving dummy and step one is to learn cpr and they perform it to well, staying alive well to be fair the first thing they taught him was what are the abcs and that is actually mm-hmm. pretty important in general so that's airway breathing circulation mm-hmm. though recently in the updated version of it i think as of two years ago it's cab so oh com- so com- circulation airway breathing so compressions first Oh, compressions. So you always do compressions, and then you check the airway. and Or so you're supposed to check airway breathing circulations, but you're supposed to start with circulation. Or sorry, yeah, circulation. So doing compressions first. Okay. And actually, they're going towards just compression-only CPR. Because um, they realized if you can get the blood pumping well, just having the chest recoil will actually get some oxygen in, and that'll help. So you okay. don't have to focus on doing mouth-to-mouth or getting a bag or putting a mask on or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael was also very poignant in pointing out you cannot get a dummy unless you're a CPR trained or uh, instructor. Right. Those things are stupid expensive. I think we looked it up for fun and they were about $3,000. Yeah, $3,500 is what they said in the episode. And I think that's how much it costed or how much it cost to get one. And those things are stupid expensive. And when you actually play with one of them, you're like, why? <laughs> There's no reason it should be that expensive. You have a chest that clicks when you push it down deep enough. And then you have two bags that represent the lung with a pipe connected to the mouth. The end. All right. So what I'm hearing is that we need to get in on that racket and start selling our own CPR dummies for one ninety nine ninety five. You you you're, yeah, I think so. And then have our own like CPR course and whatnot. Make money that way. I think. Yeah, that's- because you know what people want? They want a bad medicine podcast uh, CPR certification. You know it because we can tell you how they did it wrong. That would be the That's true. That would be the best case scenario. I think that would be a great idea. We should do that one day. But CPR is really hard. It is a very strenuous exercise in mm-hmm. general. And I would say no one did it right. No, oh, right. Kevin kind of. No, but he went really slow. 
Michael had his hand placement really badly, and you are supposed to go to 100 to 120 beats per minute, not just 100. Mm-hmm. I think the old trope is do it to staying alive. Mm-hmm. That's what they did in the show. So other songs, because I was very curious, because one of the songs that they taught me to do it to was Another One Bites the Dust. Works. Also hundred, yeah. also easily rememberable. Uh, Umbop. <laughs> also 100 beats per minute. Uh, Man in the Mirror. I really don't know how you would do chest compressions to Man in the Mirror, but also 100 beats per minute. Work It by Missy Elliott. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And my favorite, Heartbreaker by Mariah Carey. <laughs> so those are other songs. If you don't like disco and you need other things to encourage you to do chest compressions at a better rate, these are the other songs you should be doing it to. Can, I, I, I'm, I'm sticking with Missy Elliott. Work it. Can you? Yeah. Ma- so here's the thing that actually happened once in the ER was we were doing chest compressions on a guy. While we were doing good chest compressions, he was yelling at us because he can, you know, he's getting blood profuse to his head. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm feeling great. The minute we stopped, his heart stopped, and then he would just pass out. Yeah, you brought that one up before. It might have been in the in the in the Simpsons episode. Can you imagine if you're doing if you're seeing Bob and that's what he wakes up to, and he's like, <laughs> my chest is getting pushed on. You stop it, and the last thing and then he hears in is, an Bob, yeah, he's gone. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> but that's, that is that is how you know you did something right, though. That mm-hmm. is an effective amount of uh, pressure in CPR, but. I think I want to make a, a Spotify playlist of songs to do CPR to. 100 beats per minute? Yeah. Link it onto our Twitter? Yeah. Oh, that would be so good. But Umbop caught me off guard, but Heartbreaker was probably the funniest one of all. That, that's a good one. That is the best. And something that Dwight brings up in this scene mm-hmm. is that if the dummy dies, they have five minutes to get those organs on ice. Oh, yeah. That's not true. That's not true. So... A lot of the times you can only harvest organs. Actually, the only times I've seen are patients who are like brain dead. Mm-hmm. But that mean, that's because their heart is still working, right? So mm-hmm. the heart still perfusing all those organs. And the last organ they take out is the heart. Right. And the reason that why, came up in Crank too. For sure. Yeah. So you're getting all the other organs first. And then you finally get the heart. And you that. So when they're dead. Five minutes is a very arbitrary number. Those mm-hmm. organs could be already damaged at that point, especially if the heart hasn't been working efficiently or effectively before that. Mm-hmm. So, no, five minutes is not the cutoff. The cutoff is the heart stops, your your organs are not great anymore. Okay. That's how I would think about it. I'm not a transplant specialist, but I don't think I've had any cases where I've had a patient and I declared cardiac arrest or called time of death in the emergency department and um one of the donate and they were still viable yeah and one of the donate people go hey can we have those yeah now that you're done when you're done now that you're done using them can can we have them no oh, okay never happens that way <laughs> there's no five second rule there is definitely no five second or five minute rule for this okay but the key if i mean if they kept the cpr going and they couldn't save the patient and there was a way to keep the heart going knowing the patient mm-hmm. was not going to survive then we'll talk about mm-hmm. getting those organs for sure. Would that be doing something like ECMO? To, you could to keep the blood flowing. You could, but ECMO is such an invasive process and expensive process that most of the time, and this is the economics of medicine, it's not viable okay. or it's not feasible. I should say the other problem with doing ECMO is since you're um, anticoagulating the blood so that it doesn't clot inside of the machine, 
mm-hmm. um, when you take out those organs, you're going to have issues. Clot and- you're going to have other issues with those organs yeah. too. So there's a lot of problems with just placing a person on ECMO to harvest their organs. It even sounds bad when you say it out loud like that. Say, yeah. Right? You're, you're putting them on a machine so you can take their guts. Like, it sounds bad. And I think ethically, it's not a, a, a great thing to do. Because mm-hmm. you're essentially turning this person into a farm. Mm-hmm. Right? So, no. But speaking of harvesting stuff, Dwight going face off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dwight, technically he was going Silence, Silence of, the of the Lambs. Yeah. But for the for the discussion of our podcast, I'd say face off because he definitely face off. He definitely took the face off. But um, you can't really do that. I mean, you could. Um, I will say, now having seen the inside of many CPR dummies, that's pretty medically accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think what else there was in this part too. There was Stanley's biofeedback. Oh yeah. That was basically, it was much bigger than like a, a even the pulse ox things that we have one now because we we picked one up at the beginning of of COVID everything. I, I hate those things. <laughs> um, and but his is like computer mouse sized. It is. It. I think it was just something from props. Because mm-hmm. there's no light, right? Like that's like the mm-hmm. thing you're most used to is you see that little red light. That little red light. That's. That, that sees through your finger. Yeah. So what it does with that little red light is it detects how much refraction there is in your blood and mm-hmm. how much it changes the color of the light passing through the other side. And that's how they're able to do a, some fancy math and calculate your pulse ox. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't trust those mainly because they're highly inaccurate. If your finger moves, the number can vary like 30 points. Yeah. So I'll have patients that come in and tell me their pulse ox at home is 69. Nice, but nice. Um, their lips. I ask the first question I ask is, did they ever turn blue? And if the answer is no, I tell them you might need to get that rechecked or not mm-hmm. use that anymore because it's not accurate at all. Now, what is a like? At what level is pulse ox dangerous? So technically, anything below 92 percent is technically bad. Okay, because that's like not normal with a good accurate reading. Yes. But you also got to remember if that's at sea level, mm-hmm. if you're up in the mountains, it could be 90. Okay. Yeah. So when I used to work in New Mexico and we were at altitude, we would accept numbers above 90 all the time mm-hmm. because we were at altitude. And especially if you haven't lived there for a long time, your numbers could be all funky like that too. Mm-hmm. So that could be part of it as well. Interesting. So 92, 94 technically would be like optimal. And mm-hmm. 92 is when you're kind of like, eh. Um, below 90 is when you should be a little more worried. Right. And again, you don't don't just trust that that 599 device you got from Wish. Oh, not, you mean which is essentially just a flashlight and random numbers blinking? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't trust that. I don't even, <laughs> I barely trust the ones from Walgreens. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people you trust what they look like, not just the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important thing is just you should be treating what Numbers are numbers and data are helpful, but overall look of a patient is really the most important thing, and that's what you should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay. I've never heard of a biofeedback machine. I don't know exactly what that is, but having the the elevated heart rate when he sees Michael, fitting. Yeah, because he's a very stressful guy, especially because he walked over people and Pam looking up and just seeing um right down the b hole. Yep. Yeah. 
No thanks. Hard pass, please. I think him trying to work on relaxation techniques, very important. Does not go well into the next episode where they all roast him and then everyone gets more stressed out, mainly because mm-hmm. of how stressed out Michael is. But in general, he Stanley should be resting a lot more. He is weak as a little baby mm-hmm. right now, especially that soon after a heart attack. He should be resting. Mm-hmm. But that's that's my advice from a non-adult medicine practicing physician or yeah. not oftenly seeing adult patient mm-hmm. physician, I should say. Do you have a couple questions I need to ask you about this episode? Okay. Uh, the human centipede bills itself as 100% medically accurate. Uh, if that's the case, how medically accurate is season five, episode 14 of The Office, Stress Relief, part one? Um, so kind of going over all the big stuff. The heart attack representation, pretty accurate. The CPR stuff, this is basically a class that's gone awry, and I've had classes like this before, so Mm -hmm. pretty accurate. A lot of the stuff that she taught, though accurate at the time, is now inaccurate. But that it's a 15-year-old episode. Correct. So that's a product of its time, not so much them Mm -hmm. not trying to be accurate. And I think they really did try to get someone to teach realistic BLS, Mm-hmm. For the for the sole fact that this is a show that was watched by so many people, that learning this simple thing potentially could save lives. Yeah. Right? And I think that kind of is like our episode, too, is that we're talking about something that can potentially save your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say probably 300%. Okay. Only because the CPR, presenta- the, the presentation of chest pain, realistic... BLS, also realistic. The only thing that really wasn't realistic were two things. It was Oscar falling through the, the ceiling, not getting and, super hurt. And uh, this is not a, a bad carpentry podcast. Correct. Or physics, as mm-hmm. we've talked so many times about. Um, but also the biofeedback machine. I'm, I don't know what that is. I'm sure maybe it's a real thing. If it is real, cool. I just have never seen it used on a, a um, cardiac patient before. I will do a, a deep dive on goop.com to see if we can find that. Oh, God. We still got to do the goop lab, don't we? That's going to yeah. be, oh, you know, that's going to be just straight up pain. Yep. It, I don't know if it's going to hurt more than The Resident, which also just had its season premiere recently. Oh, that's really late. Mid season premiere? Did they? Mid. Oh, yeah, it is mid season. Something like that. I, I, pain, 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 <laughs> pain, pain, pain. But yeah. All right. Uh, anything you would do to make the episode more medically accurate while still keeping the dramatic and comedic stakes high? Um, I honestly not that. I mean, the fire, the fire stuff seemed real with the panic and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, this is an office gone awry basically, mm-hmm. right? So everyone's kind of acting up, going nutsos. That fits with all of this. Um, the BLS stuff makes total sense, you know. Um, I think I'm really happy that they did it in a realistic, yet comedic way because they hit mm-hmm. the big points that needed to be hit. And that was the most important thing. So, honestly, I wouldn't change that much. Um, I think maybe having Andy sing other songs that were 100 beats per minute, on brand for him. Yeah. Right? Like, he's the guy who likes singing very unprompted. So, I think that would have been kind of a funny thing to toss in. But really, in terms of medical stuff, I don't really see anything I can fault, at least at this All right. time. Yeah. I don't know if this is the highest score, potentially, but... If- it's the highest score we've done for The Office of both episodes. Oh, highest of two? Highest of two. I don't even know if there's any other office episodes that are technically medical stuff. I'm well. If there are, someone let us know. Yes. Uh, send us a note. Give us a call. 
Um, otherwise, thank you for listening, and we will be back with more Hi, Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast. Bye, everybody.